Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I am married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and and I'm in a different part of the country. I I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Oh, yeah. Hey, I'm Carol Jurgensen-Sheets, a.k.a. Carol the Coach, and welcome to Sex Health with Carol the Coach. This is the oldest um, sex addiction podcast that we've got going on. You know, when I bought my certification and I I think it was 2007, Um, I wanted to do a podcast to help educate my listeners on sexual addiction. At the time, sex addicts were my niche, or was my niche, and I just really felt like they did not have enough information. I wanted to disseminate more information. So I reached out to my um, colleagues in my own class, And these were people that had been working with me. They were skilled, experienced people. And I said, hey, I am going to do a podcast, and I'd like for you all to be my guest. Is anybody interested? Well, they looked like deers in a headlight. (laughs) You know, they they couldn't foresee that that would be helpful. I'm, I'm making that up. I shouldn't say that. But let's just say they weren't comfortable with the idea that they'd be interviewed. And so I was able to find three or four people, and I did these individual podcasts. I didn't know about blog talk. I didn't know about um, some of the other big podcasting companies. And um, so I did a few, and and then I didn't. And then about a year later, I said, you know what? I got to get this thing together. But I didn't know how to get it together. I didn't know what it would be like to create my own page or, you know, I had two websites, was unsure how to make this thing happen, how to get it on iTunes, how to get it on Stitcher. So I hired somebody and within about six months, we got it together. I did the show and 
Many of you know I had about 36 listeners my first week. Yay. By the end of the month, maybe it was two months. Anyway, I had 3,000. And now I just looked at the stats, and I have 596,000 open downloads a week. That is almost 600,000 open downloads. That's not just downloads, because we all know that there are things we download that we never open. We never get around to it. So, you know, I feel really good about that. And for most of you that are listening, I schedule 90 minutes. You can either schedule 60 or 90. I schedule 90 so that if we run over a minute or two, I'm not having to cut off my guest. But I think 90 would be pretty, pretty much over the top. So truly, I try to keep our podcast to less than um, to 60 minutes or less. Sometimes they go 61, 62, or 63 minutes. So don't let that 90-minute thing scare you. That's just so that I have a little latitude. Because they don't give me an opportunity just to say I want 65 minutes. The increments are 15 minutes, 30, 60, and 90. Actually, I can do a three-hour show, but I don't think you really want to hear me for three hours. I do think some people you might want to hear it that long, but not not me. And so tonight, I'm pretty excited because, you know, discovery is so traumatic for the partner and the addict. And um, so I have got an expert. Her name is Dr. Crystal Hollenbach, and she does intensives, and she works with partners, and she works with addicts. She's a CSAT. She also has been accredited by ASECT, which is the American Association of Sex Sex Educators and Counselors. So, I mean, she has a wealth of information. And she's going to be talking about how you can recover from the sex addiction and the betrayal. And, you know, that includes whether you're a partner or an addict special message that I want to share with you all. Sometimes partners get mad at me when I see too much strength in their husbands or wives, the sex addict. You know, they have been so betrayed. They've been lied to. They've been deceived. Um, Their world has been rocked. Their pain is excruciating. And so one month, three months, six months, nine months into recovery, when the addict is doing well, they get kind of mad at me because they're like, first of all, Carol, you don't live with the guy. You don't know that he's really telling the truth. And I'll say, well, but we're giving him polygraph tests. And they'll go, well, I just can't absolutely believe in the polygraph test. I mean, it really is a nice tool to increase the insurance that they need that they're doing good work. But I get that. They have been so deceived, they're not going to believe anybody, anyway, anyhow. Time is what's going to be the teller of the addict's recovery. My point is that I really work with um, the coupleship, the partner, and the addict 
to focus on strengths. That addict is in good recovery. Even if he's had a slip or two, which means he looked at porn or, you know, maybe he looked at images of bikinis or NFL wives or, you know, just some of the stupid stuff that an addict will flirt with, telling themselves they're in good recovery and then going down that rabbit hole and creating a slippery slope for themselves. So I'm positive, and I work with them, and sometimes the partner understandably gets mad at me. They don't think I get it. They're afraid I'm getting duped too. And, you know, what I know to be true is next to the death of a child, partner betrayal, sexual betrayal, dishonesty and deceit, core of why a partner is so devastated. She or he can't believe that his or her whole life was a lie. Now, I'm going to reference partners as if they're females just to keep it simple, but they really can't. They cannot believe that their whole life has been a lie, whether that's six months, six years, 26 years, 36 years, you know, I've got addicts and partners that have been together 60 years. And, you know, that is, that is really heartbreaking. Now, the good news is, obviously, I'm a CSAT. I'm a certified sexual addiction therapist, but I'm also an APSAT. I'm a clinical certified partner specialist. And hopefully, sorry, I was drinking my coffee. Hopefully, the addict and the partner knows that I'm in both of their corners. They know that I'm rooting for them. But I'm also the Rottweiler, you know. I'm not going to let an addict get by with denial, minimization, rationalization, Um, justification, I'm not going to let him. Because if I do that, then not only am I failing the coupleship and the partner, but I'm failing the addict too. That addict has to have or develop rigorous honesty. And rigorous honesty is at the heart of good recovery. And so I'm hard on my addicts. I mean, I just don't let them get by with much. You should see me in my groups. You know, I'll have an addict that says, you know, oh my gosh, she got mad because I hugged a 93-year-old woman that donated $500,000 to our philanthropic club. And I'll say, what was the rules, Thomas? What rules do you have in your relationship? And I'll go, well, I know it's no hugs, but literally she's 93 years old. And I'll go, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if she's Pamela Anderson. Doesn't matter if she's 93. Doesn't matter if she's 600 pounds. Doesn't matter if she has one eye. The rule is no hugs. 
And every time you deny her, you lie to her, you minimize or justify what you've done because you have not followed what will make her feel safe, you're violating your covenant. You know, part of your recovery is not just to go to 12-step meetings and get a sponsor and do the 12-step work and recovery reading and go to a CSAT and all that stuff. It is to stop lying. It is to be 100% honest, transparent, and authentic. Okay, so you get the routine, right? We're going to be talking with an expert, and that is Dr. Crystal Hollenbeck. And she is a woman who has made it her mission to help partners and sex addicts to heal from the wounds of sexual addiction. She helps the partners to heal from being betrayed, and she helps the addict to create stronger programs. So she's really doing her best. Everybody honest. And I just mentioned that. That's honesty is at the core of good recovery. And so I want to promise you that if you are lying about your taxes, if you are lying about stopping off at Castle before you come home so you can have a couple of burgers, if you're lying by omission, you know, I just had a woman the other day, and let's see, what was her issue? She said, my husband would take out an extra $50 a week just to have more spending money so he could stop and have extra lunch or buy an extra magazine or a newspaper. But he wasn't telling me. And we have a strict financial situation whereby he's on an allowance because he has spent dollars on prostitutes and massage parlors. So, you know, you can, uh, the normal counselor may go, oh, my gosh, that wife is so controlling. Doesn't she get it? He needs a little breathing room. He needs to be independent. He needs to be an adult and treated as such. But that's not what he needs. He needs to be able to stand up for what he wants at the time that we're creating boundaries and consequences and expectations. And he needs to be able to say what he wants. But if he agrees to something, he has to stand by his word because that's what will make the partner feel safe. And that's actually what's going to make him feel when he can make her feel safe and they can begin to reestablish the trust that they've needed to reestablish based on the horrible partner and sexual betrayal, um, then he can rebuild his life, their relationship, and his self-esteem. Now, I know that sounds codependent, that his self-esteem is dependent on her. And what I'm really saying is when an addict is betrayed, 
his wife, the partner, then he needs to be a stand-up guy and be 100% rigorously honest. And if that sounds codependent to you, so be it. But i got to tell you, the men that I work with that do that hard work, they don't even lie about taking out the trash, wow. They end up getting healthier quicker. Their relationship starts getting healthier, and they actually end up living the life that they deserve. And that's why they're in therapy. They want to redeem their own sense of self, and they want to help the coupleship. And that's what we're talking about tonight. So we're going to welcome Dr. Crystal Hollenbeck to the show, who's going to be talking about what discovery is like and how a couple can navigate through that, how the partner can set her own boundaries and expectations, and and what an addict can do to maximize the recovery process itself. So, Crystal, welcome to Sex Help with Carol the Coach. Hi, Carol. It's so nice to talk with you again. Well, thank you. Yes, I've just been so impressed with your work. And you do this relationship betrayal trauma recovery, and that is a mouthful, but it really speaks to what partners need to heal from the wounds of being betrayed by their intimate partner. And so I thought if we could talk a little bit about that, and since so many of our listening audience and partners alike, I've got a lot of couples that listen to the show, I'd kind of like to talk to both of them if you feel comfortable doing that. Sure, absolutely. I actually hold um, three different certifications. One is to treat the person struggling with the addiction. The other one is to treat the partner who's been betrayed. And then I also am certified to treat the couple. So I can really talk to all three aspects of, you know, the journey that they're walking together. Well, I know, and before you came on, I told everybody that you're an ASEC and that you are part of the American Association Mm -hmm. of Sex Educators and Counselors. So not only do you know how to work with sex addicts and partners, but you also can help them with their sexual recovery when it's time to work on that too. Well, you're exactly right. I I like to take them from a place of unhealthy sexuality to healthy sexuality. I think that's a really important part of the recovery process. Well, and I know they both want that too. And so oftentimes partners are unsure for a variety of reasons when that should begin because they've been so betrayed. They don't necessarily feel safe, but they also worry that if they don't have some sort of sexual relationship, they're going to lose their husband or the addict altogether. And it just gets messy when there is partner betrayal, when there's sexual um, betrayal. So we'll hopefully we'll, we'll spend some time talking about that too. Now, just give our audience a little bit of background on how you develop this relationship betrayal trauma recovery. Well, what we realize is when a partner has been betrayed, it really is traumatic. And so we know that there's not traumatic events, but when something happens that's not supposed to happen, the brain takes it in in fragmented pieces. 
and then it gets stored in another part of the brain. And so when this is happening, um, you it really kind of starts, I think, even in the pre-discovery stage. You know, the partner is starting to get suspicious. They're getting answers that don't seem to make sense. However, they want to believe their partner. They have no reason to doubt them. Um, but, you know, they're starting to feel a little crazy, a little off. Then um, that affects their sexuality. It affects their relationship. And then once they discover uh, that their partner has betrayed them in some way, they don't know what to do with that information. Oftentimes the person who's betrayed them, they're naturally going to lie. You know, there's this twistedness. They don't really want to hurt their partner, even though what they're doing is hurting their partner. Um, So oftentimes they'll lie. They'll make up stories. Um, They're active in their addiction. So that discovery phase is very traumatic. Um, You mentioned just a few minutes ago how it affects you sexually. You know, the partner will be overwhelmed. I see some partners who want to have sex with their, you know, they haven't been having sex for months and months, and they'll be having sex every day um, because they're afraid that, okay, it must be because I wasn't having sex with him that he's betrayed me. Or they'll think, I don't ever want you to touch me again. And so they're just all over the place. They don't know what to do with that information. It truly is trauma. And what happens is they'll develop some PTSD symptoms. And, of course, PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. And so it's very serious that the partner, um, when they discover something happening with their spouse, um, any type of betrayal, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're – spouse is a sex addict if you discover that they've betrayed you, but the betrayal itself is very traumatic. And so it's really important um, that you get with an APSATS trained coach or therapist um, that's going to be able to really help you um, to feel safe, to be able to help you manage the symptoms of PTSD, um, to really help normalize, to educate you about sex addiction. Um, And then, of course, we See, most of the time in my practice, not 100% of the time, but most of the time um, when I'm helping the addict, he uh, or she will usually have some trauma in their background um, through childhood or maybe their young adulthood that they've never processed as well. So um, the trauma recovery, um, the partner trauma recovery is very significant. And then also um, a lot of times the addict needs some type of trauma recovery as well. Tell our listening audience, because you referenced that sometimes partners uh, go through post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. What are some of the symptoms for PTSD? Uh, they will feel very hypervigilant. Um, so they will be obsessed with where their partner's at, what they're doing. They won't be able to sleep. Sometimes you'll be overeating or you won't be eating at all. Um, people tell me that their mind will race, that um, everybody's so different. They can feel it in their body, um, like you'll feel stress in your body. Um, you can't sleep. You'll be obsessed with checking his phone, asking questions. Some people also get very quiet. They um, can get very quiet and isolated and withdrawn. That could also be a symptom of PTSD. Um, You're not yourself. That's probably the most important aspect to think about. Like, I just don't feel like myself. 
Um, a lot of people will be jittery. They'll feel it physically. They'll feel it in their brain, can't calm down, um, nightmares, um, making up a lot of, uh, like a lot of feelings of desperation, making up a lot of stories in your head. Because remember, post-traumatic stress disorder is an anxiety disorder. Um, and mm-hmm. that is related to the trauma that happens. So very heightened anxiety symptoms um, would be uh, prevalent as well. Well, that makes sense. And for our listening audience, oftentimes we as therapists talk about the window of tolerance. And and when you are outside of the window of tolerance, you either be gain that hypervigilant state and that, those racing thoughts and those heart palpitations and the fear and the paranoia and, and the anxiety, or you get really depressed. You go the other extreme, get really, really depressed, and you're lethargic and, and you have no energy and you just don't feel like you can mobilize the way you did before prediscovery. So, if you have those kind of symptoms, it is so important to go to a CSAT through um, sexhelp.com or an APSAT, a clinical certified specialist at APSATS, and find somebody who can help you with this kind of trauma. Now, you mentioned the prediscovery because you said oftentimes people have that gut feeling that something's not right. But when they figure it out, when discovery has occurred, you know, what should a partner do? If they well, you're exactly figure out. Yeah. No, oh, I'm sorry there, Carol. You're exactly right. They have to pay attention to that intuition. Something's not right. So the first thing that I recommend is when you discover something that your spouse has done, go to them with your concern. Notice how, and I'm going to use the pronoun he, I do see both, he or she, but I'm just going to use he for now. Notice how he Mm -hmm. responds to you. Does he talk about the concern with you? Does he become defensive? Does he tell you you're crazy? Does he say it's all your fault, try to blame you? Um, Keep in mind that if he is having an affair or using porn, it doesn't necessarily mean he's a sex addict, but you both need to seek professional help anytime there's a betrayal because he needs to be assessed. He needs to, you were talking about this a few minutes ago, Carol, he needs to really be able to tell the full truth to you about what he has done. You need to know the truth of what's happening and you're going to need trained professionals to really help you to work through that um, discovery. But that first step is to really talk to him and see how he responds. Yeah, good point. And like you said earlier, Crystal, it is a normal tendency for somebody who has problematic sexual behavior that's compulsive, whether they're an addict or not, to want to lie or minimize or deny their behavior. And so we can almost predict that that is more often than not going to occur. So if you're a partner, you're going to get a lot of that stuff. And that's where you have to stay strong. And really believe in the information that you have that's actually created your suspicions to begin with. So if if a partner doesn't have proof 
but they just have that gut feeling and there are things that aren't adding up. What should they do? Well, they're going to need to follow their intuition. So I tell people that if you suspect something, something's not right. It might just be that maybe you and your spouse haven't been spending enough time on the marriage. So maybe you just Mm -hmm. have this uh, space between the two of you. So maybe there's nothing going on that's wrong, but you still have to go talk to each other. You have to be able to say, this doesn't seem right to me. If your spouse gives you an answer that makes sense to you, then go ahead and take that. Usually what we find is if they are acting out, and that's what we call whenever they're doing the betrayal behaviors, if they're acting mm-hmm. out in some way, you, you're going to find something else. Somebody is going to tell you you're going to find a second issue. I have a lot of people that will discover one thing and their part, their spouse will give them an answer that's like, okay, or they'll buy into, oh, I just did it one time. It's the first time I ever did it. And they might take that. But if it's ongoing, you're going to find out some other um, aspects to what he is doing um, pretty soon, most likely. Well, that makes sense. And so you're saying trust your gut And then take Uh a look at it and figure out the first thing is obviously to check in with the partner or the addict and and ask the questions and then watch for the observations and then figure out what you can do with a trained professional to get closer to what the real problem is, whether it's compulsive sexual behavior, whether it's like you said, not enough time together, whether you've grown apart, whether it's the kids. But the first part is to be honest with your feelings. And I do tell partners, I want you to model that behavior because that's actually what you're asking from the addict. Now, once you've confronted them, and if you do have actual evidence of emotional or sexual betrayal, then what would you advise the addict to do and what would you advise the partner to do if there is actual evidence? Yes, I would advise the addict to be honest and to go to therapy with their partner. However, um, I work with addicts and partners on a daily basis, and I'm going to tell you that usually just doesn't happen. Usually Mm -hmm. when the addict is caught uh, doing something, they're usually not completely honest. They'll usually own up to whatever's in front of their face that is evidence that can't be disputed, but they're still going to be lying to a certain degree. And although it's going to enrage the partner, it's also understandable. Um, Addiction is a real problem and lying and addiction go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other, but we also have to remember that shame goes hand in hand with addiction. And what happens is the person who's the addict He has probably tried to, and again, I'm using he, but I see both he and she, uh, men and women, but he has probably tried to stop many times and hasn't been able to. He's probably ashamed of what he's done. Um, You know, we always say the core belief for a sex addict is if you really knew me, you wouldn't love me. So we know that they usually have some issues with loving themselves. 
Um, so not excusing the betrayal at all, but understanding the the most important thing I tell couples as soon as I meet with them is we have to get you educated. You have to get educated to understand what sex addiction is. It's a complex issue. What it is, you have to get educated on betrayal trauma. You know, we've got a partner who's in a state of trauma. We've got an addict who has just been caught and is going to try to do everything they can. I mean, they're full active in addiction. So usually they're going to lie. They're going to minimize. They're scared. Um, they're, they're probably the biggest fear that they tell me is that their wife is going to leave them. Um, and so they're mm-hmm. overwhelmed. They're afraid they're going to lose a job. They're afraid somebody's going to find out. Their children uh, will be disappointed. So um, when you're really at that beginning, I can't stress enough that you really do need trained professionals. I've seen a lot of couples be harmed by going to just a marriage counselor uh, when they're facing this type of betrayal, um, simply because they're just not trained. They don't really know how to handle the addiction and the betrayal that's going on. Um, But it's very overwhelming for both. Um, So the advice I would love to give to the addict would be tell the truth. Sometimes I don't know that's possible until they get into therapy and they get educated. You know, a lot of times, Carol, as you know, the person who's an addict, they don't even know that it's addiction. They're just living in shame and guilt and they're, they aren't even educated themselves to know that it's addiction. So anytime you have a betrayal, both of you getting into therapy as soon as possible with a trained therapist, then they can really start getting you educated and getting you on track um, for the healing process. Well, got it. So now let me ask you, do you think that the partner should forgive the indiscretions and the addict and let it go if the addict is truly remorseful and gets right into recovery and starts working a strong recovery program? Well, I think forgiveness is very important. It's very important for all of us to forgive everyone that harms us because forgiveness is for ourselves. Forgiveness, part of forgiveness says I'm going to choose not to let what you did to hurt me continue to hurt me today. Um, and But what happens very quickly, and I see this a lot of times with Christian couples, is they want to just, you know, the um, person with the addiction wants to get in, says I told you everything I did, I'm in recovery now, let's not talk about it, let's move forward. Well, when you're a betrayed spouse, You might try very hard to forgive right away, but what we know is that sometimes forgiveness is a process. And when you are traumatized with betrayal trauma, it takes you some time. Your process of recovery, because it's traumatic, is going to be a little bit behind your partners, um, the sex addict, your spouse. Um, they're going to feel good about themselves. They're going to get into recovery. They're going to be telling the truth. They're going to be getting um, support. They're going to be doing their own uh, healing, and they're going to be feeling really good and moving on. But you are left with all of this to try to work through. Oh, my goodness, this person that I thought I knew, now I don't even know who you are. All of the betrayals that you find out and the truth of what they've done is just a lot to take in. You're going to have um, intrusive thoughts related to what they did and the information that you find out. You're going to start to put some things together like, 
oh, I remember that Christmas when you were off on your phone so much. So there's that Christmas holiday that was so special to me. It didn't mean anything to you. I mean, I have people that uh, addicts who were with prostitutes or with their affair partner the day that their baby was born um, on their anniversary trip. So, you know, the partner is learning this information because usually the addict has been acting out for many years. Um, And so they're learning all this information. So we always try to educate the couple to understand the person with the addiction has to really show a lot of empathy and understanding that the partner they've betrayed, it's going to take them a little bit more healing time. So although forgiveness is a very good part of that, there's just a lot to forgive. So I always say, let's forgive as it's ongoing. You're going to learn something else, process through it, then come to forgiveness after you can process that wound. Well, and you are so right. And let's face it, it takes a while. I mean, although forgiveness is a great process, rush forgiveness, you have to really be at a place where you have a sense of um, serenity or peace about it. You know, you, you get, you've understood sexual addiction. You know, one of the things that I talk about with the guys I work with is following the recovery task that Patrick Carnes taught us um, in at ITAP. And the first recovery task is that you have to break through the denial of the disease. And the second one is that you have to understand sexual addiction. And in some ways, that same thing is going on for partners. The, the discovery has helped them to break through what they didn't know. And then they really need to understand sexual addiction so that they can help put together how their spouse could have done this to them. Because truly, you and I, Crystal, know the spouse didn't do it to them. The spouse got caught up in compulsive behavior and could not stop. And the ramifications were and are that it was horrible trauma and sexual betrayal to the partner. So that's the consequences. But I've never known an addict that said, I'm going to hurt my wife and I'm going to go to a prostitute because I hate her. You know, that just doesn't happen. No, absolutely not. You know, that's, I always say addiction doesn't make sense. And so I try to explain to the partner that although your addict spouse has just hurt you and wounded you terribly, they also love you. They also didn't plan to hurt you, um, although they did, and they did make choices, and they are responsible for that. But it's a complex issue. And, you know, most partners understand that because even partners, when they learn what, uh, you know, it's, a, it's in some ways just a beautiful, difficult thing. When the partner learns everything after full disclosure that the addict has done, it's very painful. It's also very relieving that they feel like, okay, now I have the truth after having all these suspicions. But you know what's interesting that I see is the partner still says to me, I still love him. I know what he's done and it's horrible, 
And yet there's these other beautiful parts to him. There's these other things that we've shared. We raised a family or, you know, he's such a pillar in the community or he has these good qualities. And that's why we say it's complex. It's not black and white. Um, so you're exactly right. The addict, although he's, he's hurting himself and betraying his partner and causing trauma, he also does love her, and most addicts that I've met with do want to stop. They want help. They don't want to continue. Um, they want to become the husband, the wife that they should be, walking in the integrity of who they are um, and earning that trust back. Yeah, that's a great point, and I 100% agree. And probably between the both of us, we have – over a quarter of a century's worth of experience in working with addicts and their partners. Now, I got to ask you, how do you believe partners are affected sexually once they have found out that they've been betrayed? Because you earlier said, hey, sometimes they think, oh, I got to have more sex with them because sex addiction is about sex, but it really, really isn't. So I'm going to ask you, what would you advise? your partners to do sexually after discovery and after he's gotten into some, oh, let's say 90 to 180 days of recovery? Well, once we're, so when a couple comes in, we're going to ask the addict to do what's called 90 days of complete abstinence. That is abstinence uh-huh. from any sexual activity with yourself, with anybody else, and with your wife. And, again, I'm just using the man as an example. And um, for the partner, that's also a sacrifice for her because she's traumatized and so emotion, so emotional. We have to really normalize for partners. They are totally traumatized sexually as well. They're out of their mind, so to speak. They feel like they're crazy. Sometimes they want to do what's called revenge sex. Let me just go out and cheat Mm -hmm. on you and see how it feels. Sometimes they want to have sex every day with their partner because they think that that's the reason that they acted out. Um, Sometimes we see that the addict is the one that has deprived the wife of sex for so long. Um, And so they feel very betrayed. And a very common thing that partners go through, too, that I see is they really compare themselves. They really, probably every partner goes through some stage in those beginning 90 days uh, to the beginning three months to six months of where they will feel like they weren't good enough. Maybe they gained weight or they had a baby or um, they see that their partner was acting out with somebody who doesn't look like them. So maybe he has a type and he's not attracted to me. So I think one of the most important things I would say to partners during that first three to six months is you have to really understand that his addiction had nothing to do with you, that you are enough, that your sexuality is being impacted by what he has done. He has caused this trauma. He's caused you to feel this way about yourself, but it's all lies. You're overwhelmed. The truth is whether you had sex every day with him or you didn't have sex at all, it didn't cause him to act out. Whether you look like who he acted out with or it didn't, it has nothing to do with addiction um, and his acting out. And it takes, you know, It takes education and the partners to really be able to be encouraged and normalized with that Um, because it's very natural to feel that way. You know, it's very natural to feel like you're not enough 
if someone is giving themselves sexually outside of the relationship. Um, but that's not true. When it's addiction, like you said, uh, Carol, it's a complex issue. It's really not about sex. Um, it's about the high that you get from the dopamine rush in your brain. So there's a brain issue related to it. Um, there are patterns of habits that have been developed. There is the, um, you know, sometimes we call addiction the temporary escape from the pain of reality. You know, I explain it as it's this little bit of temporary feel good because you don't know how to deal with emotions. You don't know how to value yourself. Um, a lot of times there have been things that have impacted your sexual development, um, a lot of things, including sexual abuse, um, growing up in a sexually charged home. Um, there's a lot of things that impact um, why people develop an addiction. And it doesn't have anything to do with the partner that you're betraying. It could be any partner that they're married to. Um, and so I think sexually the partners are just so overwhelmed because it doesn't make sense. Like we said a few minutes ago, it just doesn't make sense. And I always, again, I let them know that you have a rational mind and you are trying to figure out something that's irrational. It doesn't make sense. It's not going to make sense um, right away. So just that overwhelming feeling sexually um, is very, very difficult for partners. Well, exactly. And so, again, you always advocate for that 90 days of no sexual activity, including masturbation, um, no sex with your wife. Um, and then once the brain is calmed down, you begin to decide what feels safe for both parties. Exactly. You need to reset the neurotransmitters in the brain, and you can only do that with abstinence. And while you're being abstinent, not only are you abstaining, but you're also getting educated, getting support. Um, you're doing all of the great work of recovery at the same time. We've got to reset some new brain patterns. We've got to get you sober-minded to be able to do the good work of the education and um, the support that you get. So what I always say is I ask for the 90 days of abstinence. After that 90 days, then we kind of assess where they are as a couple. I always allow the partner, um, I encourage the partner to be able to have the voice to be able to feel safe. It doesn't mean on day 91 that you're going to start engaging together sexually. But what it means is we can now start, let's start talking about where we are, how safe do we feel, and let's start talking about how we go forward. Of course, one of our goals is to be able to be together sexually in a healthy way. But every couple is different. I don't think there's a rule of thumb for when you begin to engage sexually. Some I see do it um, sooner than others, and so we have to gauge each partner, or, or I'm sorry, each couple uh, for where they are, but I always do try to let the partners kind of, until the partners feel safe and some trust has been built back, um, they're not going to be ready to give themselves sexually to their spouse. Yeah, and you know, as I hear you talking about partner trauma and 
how to help couples navigate through this. I can hear that compassion for both the addict and the partner. So that's that beautiful space you hold for them. Um, And that's what you provide when you're working with them, either individually or as couples doing that early recovery couples work. Now let me ask you, I'm going to get even deeper. I want to know how do you believe that partners are affected spiritually when there has been sexual betrayal? Well, you know, treat a lot of uh, people of strong faith. And you take wedding vows, and this is probably the number one way that I see it be affected, is they really take their vows very seriously. And so they get very confused as to how could you, you know, they've celebrated anniversaries and they um, will teach their children um, faithfulness and monogamy. And a lot of times they'll hold positions in churches and they'll be serving. So they really leave the partner to believe that they are men of integrity, um, that they are faithful to them. You know, they're very um, good at living the double life a lot of times. And so when you find out that everything you believed was a lie, so to speak, it really just shakes your faith. It shakes your, um, you wonder why God would allow it to happen. I hear people tell me all the time that um, I'm afraid to tell people. The secrecy, I think, becomes stronger when there's, when your spirituality is really important to you. You're afraid to tell people how will you be judged Um, You're so confused. Um, You question your own faith. Um, And so it really impacts the way you feel about your relationship with God. And I think it's really confusing. It's just really confusing to the partner. So this is another area that we talk about um, up front because we also want to know if you do have a strong um, faith, we also want you to be able to have your community be there to be a support to you. So if you're involved in a church, if you have Christian friends, if you're in a Bible study, if you have a strong family of faith, we want to encourage you to be able to allow them to be there for you. Sometimes shame, as you know, Carol, will keep the partner and even the addict from telling people that love them. They're afraid of judgment. They're afraid of broken relationships. There's a lot of fear associated with that. But also your your strong faith can be a really great um, part of your healing process. As the couple talks about it, allows their faith community to be there for them. Um, and so although it affects you negatively, it can also be a really important part of your recovery process. Very good point. And so I think you spoke earlier that sometimes um, your faith community doesn't understand and they will give you bad advice or they'll isolate themselves from you because they don't know what to do or say. But if you have a healthy faith community who is oriented, you know, I'm thinking about every man's battle and every woman's battle and some of the churches that have rallied around people that suffer from compulsive sexual problematic behaviors and you know, they're going to be much more likely to be able to know how to provide support spiritually. Yes, absolutely. So, now, what would you say, you know, 
how long do you typically work with addicts and with partners who are working on their own personal recovery? Well, every couple is different. Um, But we usually, if we're starting out talking about it, we usually try to say we're going to look at a three- to five-year process. Now, some may be shorter, some may be longer, but a strong recovery is usually three to five, and I believe that's based in research. I believe uh, Patrick Carnes' um, work has done some research on that, and there's some stages that you go through um, with stability and sobriety. Now, I think... um, you know, that first year of recovery, I think, is the most important. It's where the partner's going to get sober. Um, I always, or I'm sorry, the addict is sober. And I always tell the partner, your boundary is I will only stay in this marriage if you work recovery. So you're really letting your um, husband, the spouse, be able to take responsibility for his recovery. And at the same time, we don't want you to make any major decisions for a year because you are traumatized. We want you to be able to make a decision to stay or leave the marriage when you're coming from a place of healing and not woundedness. And so that first year is really important for, your, for the partner's healing as well from the trauma. Through the first year, I recommend that um, we're going to go through disclosure and the impact statement and emotional restitution Um, a good, strong sobriety plan. You're going to have three lie detector tests over the first year, Um, probably some trauma treatment for definitely the partner and also probably the addict. And it's also a year of just um, new discoveries. Um, Sometimes intimacy is not very strong during the first year, sometimes because there's so much healing to do and and, uh, learning about each other and individually. Um, usually after that first year for the couples who have had a struggle, usually that second year um, is a really wonderful time to really start to do the couple's work. Um, I like to start working with the couple immediately, though. But as far as addressing marriage um, relationships and that type of work, most couples need a little bit of time to just, you know, um, get some healing, get some education, understand what they're dealing with, and then they're able to go beyond that once some trust is established, uh, once some consistency is established. So I don't know about you, Carol, but I always tell everyone, expect a good three to five years there at the beginning. You know, a lot of times the um, addict has come in and they've been acting out for, I mean, I see couples that have been acting out for 30 uh, addicts 30, 40 years sometimes. Um, and so to expect it to happen in just a few months usually is unrealistic. I know. And, you know, that can sound like such a long and lengthy amount of time. And yet that's how long it takes to reset the brain. And like you said earlier, sexual addiction is about recreating and redeveloping those neural pathways in a healthy way. And it takes a partner about that length of time to really begin to trust her, her sex addict in recovery again. So, you know, people shouldn't be discouraged. It actually goes very quickly when people are doing their work. 
Well, that's exactly right. And every couple, like I said, is different. But I have had several couples, you know, say to me, the work was hard, but we're so glad we did it. Because as terrible as it sounds, um, you know, I'm a firm believer that God can bring good out of what was meant for evil. And I have had several couples tell me we would never have wished to deal with sex addiction in our marriage, but we dealt with it and did the work. And today we have a marriage that we never thought we could have because there is honesty. There is um, sobriety. They've done the work together. They've given their uh, personal selves plus their marriage attention. Um, And, you know, we don't do that very often in our busy lives. And so, Um, Although the process can seem like it takes a little while, um, you're right. It doesn't take that long, and the benefits to doing the work really um, are just can be wonderful. Oh, I 100% agree. So now, as we begin to wrap up the show, I would like people to know how they can get a hold of you because you do something called intensive, and that's for people that want to really do a boatload of work quickly and extensively and thoroughly. So talk a little bit about your intensives. Yes, I offer three-day intensive therapy for the couples entering into sex addiction recovery as well as for trauma recovery. So for the betrayed partner, I do a separate uh, three-day trauma intensive. Um, and we go through, a, we do a lot of work in a short amount of time. You really take three days out of your life, and it's really intense. I ask you to kind of disconnect from the world and really give these three days of focus. There's some prep work that you do before you come to the intensive, like uh, working on the disclosure. The partner will be working on how she's been impacted. Um, we do the disclosure and exam. We set you up for a sobriety plan. Um, So we do a lot of good work to really get you set up for success right at the beginning, uh, which is very important. And also, um, couples could be anywhere in the um, beginning stages, too. I've had couples come in to do my intensive who um, had discovery six months ago or a year ago, and maybe they just haven't been able to get to therapists that are trained to help them, or there's been relapse. Um, And so the intensive really gets you set up both individually and as a couple to really go forward strong. And then the three-day trauma intensive is really focused on going from a place of woundedness to a place of healing. Um, I don't recommend that we do the trauma intensive until you've had full disclosure, um, but because I think you get more benefit from that a lot of times disclosure has parts to it that add more trauma to you. And so um, those are uh, three-day intensives. Um, I found them to be very, very helpful uh, to the clients. And, um, you know, how how often do we, Carol, take three days out of our life to do something that focuses on our own healing? Um, You know, so that's one of the benefits to it as well is just that intensive time Not that doing weekly therapy or several times a week isn't helpful. It is. But you do leave the office and go back and have to take care of children and go to work and um, interact. 
And so it really takes a good six months or more of therapy and condenses it into the three days of, of total focus on you. Well, I, I know people that have done your intensives, and it's always remarkable the work that they do as well as the benefit they get from your work. So let people know, how can they get a hold of you? Well, you could go to my website. It's just my name, crystalhollenbeck.com, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-H-O-L-L-E-N-B-E-C-K. And uh, you can, of course, email me, crystal at crystalhollenbeck.com. And, of course, my phone number is 407-408-6521. I have offices in Orlando and Tampa, Florida. And I'd be glad to answer any questions that uh, anyone may have or be a help to you if I can. Well, Crystal, thank you again for this wealth of information. You've made this so understandable. And, you know, I appreciate the work you do and hope that people will look you up and utilize your services because you're a skilled professional in so many ways. You really are good way. I mean, having that sexual addiction background and that partner-sensitive trauma background and then the normal sex therapy that so many therapists don't have because that's a whole long certification in and of itself. So I appreciate your work and just wish you continued success. Oh, Carol, thank you so much for all you're doing to help people. And it's always a pleasure to speak with you. All right, you take care and keep me posted. Okay, you too. Have a good evening. Bye-bye. You too. So, again, that was Dr. Crystal Hollenbeck, and she provides these intensives. She works with people in the Florida area. I highly recommend her. She's got incredible skill and compassion, and she's just so a resource for so many. Now, i got to say goodbye, but I do want to say to you, there will only be one of you at all times, so fearlessly have the courage to be yourself and to be honest. And uh, we'll catch you next week for more sex help with Carol the Coach. Make it a good one.